0: Does this world need Jesus? That's the first question that I want to throw at you tonight. Does this world need Jesus Christ? Like when you, when you look at what is going on in the world, when you look at people around you, when you look at social media, do you think this? Do you really think this? Do you believe this? This world needs Jesus. Do you see it that way? I want you to be thinking of this question and what you think about it. If you're a Christian, by definition, then you'll say yes. If you're a Christian by definition, you'll say yes, this world needs Jesus because Jesus is their only hope of them going to heaven after their life in this earth. So if you're a Christian, you say that. The Christian believes that only through Jesus can anyone be saved, right? So the Christian will answer yes. But do you also believe that this world is in need of Jesus today, in their everyday life right now. Do you believe that that is the case? Do you see it that way? To many people, Jesus is simply a means to avoid hell. That's all that Jesus is to them, their ticket to heaven. But Jesus does not really matter today. The reality of Jesus has no impact in their life today. It doesn't really play a role in them. That's the case for many. Maybe that is the case for you, but the truth is, if Jesus doesn't matter why you're alive, it will be too late after you die. Does that make sense? I have another question. Are there people in the world today that are hurting, that feel rejected, that feel unloved, that feel alone, that are broken, that are filled with guilt and shame, people that feel like their life is empty and without purpose. Are there people like that in the world? Would you say that? I think so. And maybe you know people like that. Maybe that was you, or maybe that is you, and you can identify in that way. When someone has an encounter with Jesus, when they come to faith in Jesus, It doesn't just change their eternal destination. It changes their life today. That is what the Bible teaches. It's not just about a change in where you're going after you die, but it changes their entire life now. And Jesus wants those people that are hurting, that feel rejected, that feel unloved, and feel alone and broken and filled with shame and guilt and empty and without purpose. He wants those people to know Him and be transformed. Once again, that is what the Bible teaches us. He cares for these people, not just for their eternal destiny and either heaven or hell, but He cares about their life now and the things that they're going through now. So what does that have to do with you and what we're going to discuss tonight? What does this reality have to do with the Sermon on the Mount that we've been studying? We'll get to that in just a second. Well, you see, the world is in a great need of Jesus Christ and his gospel, not just for the life to come, but for the life now. But are you ready for this? God wants you to join him to be a part of his mission to transform lives. Many people think that being a Christian is about being a good person and doing faithful things here and there. But what many miss out is the fact that God wants you, if you are a Christian, to join him and be a part of his mission to transform lives, those very lives that I just mentioned that are broken and in pain and are hurt. He wants you to be a part of that. Jack Wilson, who is the founder, was, is the founder of Word of Life, said, it is the responsibility of each generation to reach their generation for Christ. But how does God plan on doing that? How does God plan on using us to accomplish His mission of transforming lives, of changing lives for eternity and here today? So far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've looked at the Beatitudes. These first 12 verses, and then these first 12 verses, Jesus has been describing who the Christian is to be, their character. But now, starting in verse 13, what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to see that he transitions from who the Christian ought to be to how the Christian ought to be in relation to the world around them. Okay? So it starts with, this is who the Christian is, now this is how they relate to the people around them. How does a Christian interact with a world that is not Christian? And even with those who are Christian. And the question is, how can the sort of person that Jesus has been describing in the Sermon on the Mount so far, remember someone who is meek? What else? How else did he describe the Christian? If you got your Bibles, you can look at it. I'll let, I'll let you, it's open book. What'd you say? Nice, kind of. I mean, I, I believe he wants to be nice, but there's some words that, that he used in the Beatitudes. What do we have? Poor in, Poor in spirit. What else? Oh, come on. Merciful. There you go. One that starts with a P. Peacemaker. Peacemaker. What else? Pure in heart. Vulnerable. That wasn't in there, but I like it. hungry, right, for the things of God, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And the question is, how can this sort of person with these characteristics that Jesus is talking about, how can they make any impact in the world? He's not talking about the well-spoken. He's not talking about those who uh, are just, just have those personality, right, that character. He's not talking about these powerful people. He's saying the meek, the lowly, right, those who are humble, those who are Just merciful towards others. These people, how can someone like that make an impact in the world? And maybe you look at your life and you look at your personality, you look at your walk with God, your relationship with God, or your struggles. Maybe you look at your past, your doubts, and you ask, how in the world could I ever be used by God in any sort of way to make any sort of impact in this world? To advance his kingdom. How can can God do that? And how does He plan on doing that? And as we approach this passage that we're just going to look into, I want to challenge you to something. To not limit the impact that you and your life can have for God based on your personality, based on your walk with the Lord, based on your struggles, based on your past, or even your skills, the things that you're good at. Don't limit the impact based on these things, but rather think of what you can do for God In light of who God is and what God is able to do. That ought to be the right perspective that we need to have. Let's stay focused over here, guys. Now let's go into the passage. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So now Jesus says that the Christian is these two things to the world. What are they? Salt Salt and light. Jesus said, if you are a Christian You are salt and light to the world. And today we'll look at that first one, salt. It says, you are the salt of the earth. So far, we've understood that this world is in great need of Jesus Christ, and God intends to lead people to him by using people like you and I. Right? But let's understand now this concept of salt. In the ancient world, salt was extremely important, and it still is today. Very important. More than we think sometimes. But I did a little bit of research, and at least five major functions of salt in the ancient world, we're talking about purity, preservation, flavor, healing, and creation of thirst. These are some of the things that salt does, and it did, in this ancient world, and still to this day. But with the people in the ancient world, in the time that Jesus is speaking, they most commonly associated salt with its ability to preserve. If you don't want a piece of meat to go bad, what do you do? Uh Uh-uh, you don't do that. What do you do? When you go to Publix and you buy chicken, what do you do? You put it in the fridge, right? I hope you do. What happens if you leave it out? It smells bad, right? Some of you know. I don't know if you knew this, but when Jesus was speaking, they didn't have freezers at Walmart, right? But they had salt. So salt was used, and you put it on the meat, and it helps to preserve the meat. Maybe some of you already knew that. Because meat left to itself rots, it decays. That's what happens to it. Let's understand something. When Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, it doesn't mean that in a literal sense, right? We're humans. We're not salt. But let's understand the idea here and where Jesus is getting at. Because salt, everybody has salt, rich and poor, at their house. It's very common to have this. Matter of fact, some Romans were paid in salt many times. This is, that's how valuable and important it was uh, during the ancient world. And in the same way, In the same way, this world, left to itself, will rot and decay. And we got to understand here how this transitions into us today and the people who Jesus is talking about. God, among many other things, uses His people, the Christians, as a means to keep this world from rotting and decaying. Among other things that He has set in place, He uses the Christians to keep this world from king, and preserving it. So when the Christian lives, when the Christian lives as they are supposed to, how they are supposed to live according to the word of God, they are to have a sort of influence in the life of others that keeps them away from the sin that leads them to decay. When you live out your life as Jesus calls you to, you are to have this sort of influence in the people around you so that they are not encouraged to sin, but rather discouraged from it. That is the sort of influence that your life is to have when you live according to the Word of God. In other words, when a non-Christian is around a Christian, they shall not feel encouraged to sin, but discouraged to do it. The Bible clearly teaches something. Sin ultimately leads to death. We've understood this. Paul talks about this in his letter to the church in Rome. That means that when a person engages with sin, as good, innocent, and enjoyable as that sin might seem in their eyes, it is actually hurting them. And in the context and in the words that Jesus is using, that sin is rotting and decaying their very soul. That is the reality of what sin is doing to the hearts of every single person in the world. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, it matters. Because this is a world that left to itself were rot and decay. And he has us to be salt, to preserve the decaying and rotting world as a result of sin. And we are to preserve that. Now, this isn't about telling someone how to live their life, but telling them how they can keep and preserve it. Being salt to the earth isn't about that. And many people will put it in that way. You're just telling people how to live their life. Let everybody do whatever they want. What is the big deal? Here's the problem. It's not about telling someone how to live their life. It's about telling them the only way to keep it and preserve it. Because without Jesus... Their very souls were wrought and decay in eternity and hell forever. So this is what it comes down to. This is what being salt is all about. Loving one another. Do you have people in your life that are living in sin? Don't just tell them, but show them with your life the surpassing worth of living in obedience to God rather than to sin. This is the true effect of sin in the heart of people. It robs and decays their very soul. It robs them of the joy that Jesus died for them to have. So I couldn't think of anything more loving than to point them to Jesus. So, do you have people like that? I encourage you, talk to them. Not in a condemning way of I'm better than you and this is how you need to live your life, but also showing them with your life the surpassing worth of living a life of obedience to God rather than to sin. And now there's another aspect of salt that you and I are very familiar with. And we understand this very well. And that is that salt makes you thirsty, right? Have you ever had, when you go to a fast food place and you have the best best fries, which everybody knows, Uh, The best fries in the world are from Chick-fil-A. That is the godly answer. Uh, But let me hear it. Who has the best fries? Okay. All right. All right. Let's do something. Raise your hand for McDonald's. Who has the best fries? McDonald's. Okay. Raise your hand for Burger King. Okay. Okay. All right, um, raise your hand for Chick, did I say Chick-fil-A already? No, McDonald's. Chick-fil-A. Okay. All right. All right. uh, Oh, Checkers. Checkers. I think Checkers is underrated. Checkers. Someone's saying in and out. The only per the person who told me in and out is the only person raising their hand. All right, all right. Some of you guys, raise your hand for like all of them. You just love fries. All right. Have you guys ever had that one fry? You know what I'm talking about? The salty one? That one fry where it feels like when they put the salt on these fries, all of the salt just fell on this one fry? You know what I'm talking about? And then you take a bite of it, and you're like... So you drink whatever you had, usually a soda, which doesn't really help much. But that fry makes you thirsty, right? Because of its salt. And it makes you long for water. That's a a very real aspect of salt. Now, I wouldn't say it's one of the most important things about salt, but it definitely is something that salt does to us, right? Now, and and let's let's come back to this for just one minute. There's a point in what I said that. Jesus, he referred to himself as many things. One of them was water. He referred to himself as the living water. And he made a big promise. He said that anyone who comes to him will never thirst again because they will be satisfied forever. That's a big claim. And obviously he's speaking here in spiritual terms. Have you ever experienced that? I'm not saying if you know that. If you've been going to church long enough, you know that Jesus has claimed to be the living water and the bread of life and many things like that. But have you actually experienced that in your life? Have you had this encounter with Jesus in which you have felt deeply satisfied by Him? Have you ever had any sort of experience like that? And if you have, Wouldn't the most loving thing to do be to lead others to also experience that very same satisfaction? Wouldn't that be the most loving thing to do? But how can we do that? How can we actually do that to the people around us? We go back to the words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. In the same way that we were joking around earlier with the fry, there is a question that I want us to think through and reflect. And that is, does the way that you live lead others to thirst for Jesus? When people have a conversation with you, when people talk with you, when people go somewhere with you, spend some time with you, and they see how you are, they see how you talk, they see how you think, they, they get to interact with you, do they say there is something different about you and it has to do with Jesus. And I don't know much about him, but I want to know more about him because I met you. Is that the case for you? People in this world, they're hungry and thirsty for all the wrong things. For all the wrong things. Thinking that this is what will bring them satisfaction. But time after time, and story after story, it's shown that it only leads them to deeper pain frustration, and emptiness. So, Jesus' is calling for the Christian is that they will join him to point others to the one that can truly satisfy them and transform their lives. I can't think of a greater mission and calling than that. I can't think of anything greater than that. And many of you, although you've come to church for I don't know how long, you've missed out on that. You've never experienced that. What it is to partner with God and changing a life. You don't have to miss out on it. But why do we miss out on that? Why is it that that happens? Let's talk a little bit about the second part of that verse. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But what does this mean? And I have a question for you. I know school starts on Monday. Can salt lose its saltiness? No. Why not? (laughs) School starts on Monday, right? because it's salt. That's a great answer. Listen, I, I did a little bit of research on this and, and I'll read the article because I, I wouldn't know anything without doing the research. So here it is. It says, in its natural form and state, salt cannot lose its saltiness or flavor. Consumable salt is a mineral compound consisting of, does anybody know? Said it. Sodium. Sodium, man. Chloride, right, okay. Yeah, I, I don't I didn't pay attention in science class. All right, now listen to this. Listen to this. It is extremely stable and therefore cannot lose its savor or degrade over time. But here's Jesus and he says, "But its salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is useless." But we keep reading in the article. As a matter of fact, the notion, this is like a non-Christian source, by the way, says, as a matter of fact, the notion of salt losing its saltiness derives from the Christian Bible. It was used as a metaphor in a religious lesson. However, salt could indeed lose its flavor in the New Testament times. The primary reason for that was because often salt wasn't pure back then and salt might lose its flavor under certain conditions when it contains chemical impurities." So there's only one way that salt can actually lose its saltiness, and that is when it is contaminated by other minerals and other things. That is the only way that it can lose its saltiness. In its pure form, it cannot. But there is a way, and it is when it is contaminated with other things. As I was mentioning before, Obviously, Jesus is not saying that we are literal salts. So the question is, how can the Christian, metaphorically, right, lose their saltiness? How can the Christian do that? And I want to point you to a passage in the Word of God. And that is a letter of the Apostle John. And he said, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything the people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever a love for the world here is not to love other is not referring to loving other people but it's referring to loving and having a desire for that which is against god and john says it is a love a desire and affections towards these things that are against god that essentially contaminate the christian and here is what a love for the things that are against god does it drowns out your love for God. Your love for sin drowns out your love for God. I've seen it happen so many times. We cannot love God and pursue to be like Jesus if we are too busy loving the things of this world. If the Christian has lost his Christ-likeness, it is useless in making any sort of impact in this world. Because it is the Christ in the Christian that makes the real difference. So if the Christian loses his Christ-likeness, of what use is it to make an impact for eternity? The answer is, it is of no use. Because it is the Christ and the Christian that makes all the difference. So be careful, because in the same way that one salt loses its saltiness, it is of no real good. Let us be careful in not allowing things into our lives to take the place of God, and allowing things to become more desirable than God, and allowing things to drown out our love for God. And maybe there are things that you are allowing in your life, things that you are getting in the way in that are killing your love for God. You cannot change the world by being like it. It makes no difference. It is the fact that salt is different that makes it useful. John Stott, he once said, The greatest hindrance or obstacle to the advance of the gospel worldwide is the failure of the lives of God's people. A couple hours ago, a couple of us came back from a missions conference, and it was all about missions, right? It's in the title. And there was a lot of missionaries that were being sent out all across the world. Some of them were close friends of mine, and it was very exciting to see that. And I was reflecting and thinking through a lot, and the reason that many Christians are not very passionate about missions or evangelism, reaching people who don't know Jesus. It's because they are living and experiencing a type of Christianity, a sort of Christianity that is not worth promoting. So why be passionate about sharing this with anyone that I'm not even passionate about myself? Does that make sense? And and it's a harsh truth, it's a harsh reality. Like I said, I'm not asking, do you know that Jesus claimed to be the living water and he claimed to be ultimate satisfaction? I'm not saying if you know that. I ask, have you actually experienced that? Ask yourself, years of coming to church, but have I actually had this sort of encounter, transformation in my life with the real son of God? No one's going to believe you and trust you if you just tell them, Jesus can change your life, okay? If they haven't seen that life being changed. They are more likely to both believe and trust you if they see in you a life that has been changed by Jesus and His gospel, right? Wouldn't you agree? How are they going to believe that Jesus can change a life if they've never seen a life changed by Jesus. Therefore, it is the responsibility of every Christian to reflect the transforming power of Jesus Christ through their lives. That is the responsibility of everyone who claims to be a Christian. Like I said, many prefer to stay with this definition of a Christian, somebody who's good and goes to church and believes in God. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that that is a Christian. There are people outside of the church that are way better than some of the people here, including myself. It's not just about being good. That's not what the Bible is about. Do you believe that he actually transforms everything? Have you experienced that? How are they to believe Jesus can change someone if they've never seen that? And they know you, and and you tell them, I believe in Jesus. And they see your life, and they want nothing to do with Jesus. If you're a Christian, take this responsibility serious. If you're not a Christian, don't worry about it. Jesus is not talking to you. He's not challenging you to this. He's not calling you to this. You don't have to feel guilty about that. You don't have to worry about it. But if you are a Christian, if you are going to heaven, then you should definitely be concerned about this. Because he is describing the citizens of the kingdom of God. So, how can you do this more effectively or even start doing this? I'll say you take a hold of the means, of the tools that God has given you, his spirit. His word and his people. To those who believe in Jesus, he promises his very own spirit to dwell within them, to equip them, to help them to grow, to be an effective witness, to be salt and light to this world. So his spirit and and you access his spirit through prayer. He's also given us his word. And his word stirs something in us as we read it. That creates this passion for God this love for God his word is able to do that you you need to be active you you don't just become on fire for Jesus out of nowhere no you need to open his word and allow his word to change your heart and to stir up your emotions and align them to him going to a conference or a weekend of camp can only do so much And then you need His people. You need His people. One of the marks of someone who is getting far away from God is they get far away from the people of God. They begin to isolate themselves. They don't want to be in community. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want somebody to ask them how they can pray for them. Those are some of the marks of someone who is going far away from God. It's because His people have His Spirit. So you need His people. I can tell you there's been times in which I've not wanted to be close to God, but I've had His people close to me, and that's made all the difference. Just this week, I was able to see a lot of those people to me, close people that have helped me and encouraged me in my walk. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. And I came back so encouraged to follow the Lord and to get up here and preach to you. We need His Spirit, we need His Word, and we need His people. You're just getting in the way of that which helps you grow. And naturally, your life will begin to reflect the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. And that will lead you to boldly share that with those around you and show that to those around you. You can't force yourself into being bold for Jesus. It doesn't work like that. You don't force yourself into an emotion. No. He works in you. God works in the life of the Christian so that they would join Him in His mission to transform lives. That's what He wants from you. That This is more close to what it is to be a Christian joining God in this process of changing lives of the hurt. Really, God became flesh, left his throne, just so that we can be nice and be good people, and so that people could have another option, so that they can choose in life. No, God left his throne, became flesh, and died on a cross like the worst of criminals, not so that people will have another option, but so that people will have life. So that they'll have life. Not only after they die, but a new life today. And there are people, there are people you know, there are people around you that are in desperate need of that. Many won't admit it, but they are. They're in desperate need of something new in their life. And they could only push it down for so long. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, this is, it is my life who's in need of this transformation. I've known about it, or maybe I haven't known about it, but I definitely haven't experienced it. I haven't felt that. If that's the case, then I encourage you, turn to Jesus on his terms. And if you would like to know what that's like, believe me on this, I would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. And discover for yourself this life-changing power. But if you are a Christian, you are the salt of this earth. Your assault and think who are these people? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so unworthy of knowing you. Definitely, we are unworthy of of joining you in your mission to transform the lives. You want everyone, you desire everyone to be saved. And just the fact that we get to be a part of that is an immense, immense honor, it's just a privilege. Help us to see it that way. Help us to truly see it that way. This world is in need of you and everything in it points to that truth that it desperately needs you. And I pray, God, that the Christians here will be salt and light to this world that is in desperate need of it. And those in here that are not Christian, that do not know you personally, that have not experienced that life transforming power. Work in their hearts, God, so that they too are able to experience this. I I want everyone in this room to be able to know what it is to call you Father and mean that. I want everyone in this room to be able to find the satisfaction that only you can give them. So I pray they will come to you once again. We're so grateful. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.